Well, hello and welcome to this latest in the series of podcasts. We are broadcasting to a company, Aon's latest DC pension and financial wellbeing employee research. My name's John Foster. I'm joined today by Chris Inman and Joe Sharples. Just briefly introduce yourselves, folks. Hi, everyone. My name's Joe Sharples. I'm a partner at Aon and I'm responsible for our DC investment funds. Hi everyone, I'm Chris Inman, Head of uh, DC Investment Advisory at Aon. Thanks guys. We're here today to talk about a chapter of the research which is entitled Investing for the Right Outcomes. And it's fair to say that 2020 was quite an interesting year for investment markets, particularly what we saw in the first part of the year, but also some of the things we've experienced since in terms of the way in which markets have reacted or not to the uh, the COVID crisis, etc. So we're going to explore that in, a, in more detail in this session. Just while we are talking about housekeeping, worth noting that the full research is available to you to download via the link that appears in the text that accompanies the link to the, this podcast. So please do help yourselves to that. But we're going to ask some uh, tricky questions of our guest speakers today. So just to kick things off, Chris, I mean, in terms of what we've seen from the research, there's still a huge amount of indifference when it comes to pension savings from the collective DC membership. Was there any evidence that, that, that it was kind of kicked into any any kind of action by what happened earlier in the year? Yeah, good good question, John. 2020, as you said, certainly isn't a year that many of us are going to forget anytime soon. Um, and those of us in markets, it was a double whammy in terms of, as you've alluded to, what happened in the first quarter uh, of 2020. But have we seen any evidence of members being kicked into gear? potentially from this? We certainly have not. And that's what the survey shows. And it's also what um, we're hearing from our clients in terms of looking at their membership data and also um, our solutions as well in terms of our membership not necessarily getting too engaged with what had happened um, nor with their pensions over 2020. So the survey says that about one in nine people checked their pension savings after the first quarter. So after we saw that uh, quickest bear market in history. And even when they were asked, would they do that in the next 12 months? Would they check their pension savings in the next 12 months? You'd maybe expect an uptick here in that they're given the opportunity to say the answer that they think the interviewer wants to hear, but they didn't. <laughs> with only 8% saying that they want to do it in the next 12 months, which I think some may view that as a bit of a negative finding, but but certainly not me. We've got a lot of things going on in our lives, particularly in times of stress. Like we saw last year, pensions is hardly top of the agenda um, when we're worried about our jobs, our family, our health, etc. Thinking about where we're going to go on our next summer holiday is def- definitely top of my list uh, as opposed to checking the pensions uh, day in, day out. So the fact that with the, the finding was that people didn't check, I think is actually a positive. Since during the recent market sell-off, the potential for behavioural biases to take over and result in severe value destruction were particularly high. So an example of such behavioural bias is where members tend to buy assets that have performed well recently. So this is buying high and also then selling those recent losers or selling low. So I think value stocks is a very good example of that that have rebounded in the last quarter of 2020 and continued in the first quarter of 2021. While this might feel good and right, it doesn't lead to good outcomes. Um, and in fact, it can send you broke if you repeat it enough times. 
and it wouldn't be a podcast with me unless I bunged on the Australian accent and told you what happens over there. But for a number of years, we spent we spent a lot of time and effort trying to turn uh, superannuation savers into their own chief investment officers by teaching them the difference between fixed income, equities, alternative investments, etc. But discovered pretty quickly that that most are either unable or unwilling to engage with their pension savings, not dissimilar to what we found in this survey uh, and in the UK more recently. But those that do can actually be a pretty big harm to themselves uh, and studies from the US show this. So for me, it's about the financial education side of things, empowering members to, to take action when it makes sense, when it's appropriate and not buying high and selling low, which leads to those bad outcomes. Yeah, I mean, just on, on that point, Chris, I think I can certainly see that sometimes engagement is not a good thing if it if it results in in actions which are then themselves harmful to, to to the members but i guess what the flip side of that is that it a sort of a much greater emphasis on and much greater responsibility falls to trustees and and sponsors who are putting together and designing default investment strategies for for the membership that if they're not going to engage it, it's really got to be the, the right thing or certainly not the wrong thing for the vast majority of members to be invested in just in terms of sort of actions that are that are rising out of that that sort of environment what what do you think are the the key sort of messages for trustees and sponsors looking at this great question john and you always pose them uh and it reiterates my my key takeaway that yeah trustees do need to manage the investments on their members behalves because there's been loads of research including ours showing that they're not not engaging with it so we need to do the best we can focusing on what we're trying to achieve and that is that good outcome for the retirement savers, which is why we've come up with at Aon with our target-driven investment strategy that takes away a little bit of the evolving of the investment strategy based on a member's age, i.e. potentially crystallizing losses in periods of stress just because got a member, a member got a little bit closer to retirement and thinking about what we're trying to achieve, the market experience and evolving the investment strategy based on that. And we've just launched that in our solutions this year, which Joe can talk a little bit more about. Thanks, Chris. So it's been a really exciting time because, as as Chris said, we've just recently introduced our new target-driven investment approach within our DC solutions. So that's that cuts across our master trust and also our group personal pension. And we really think this is the future of DC investing. And the approach is very much looking to understand how much return a member needs from their investments from when they join the scheme all the way up to retirement to be able to achieve that adequate level of retirement savings when they get to the point of retirement. And as part of that, the approach involves setting explicit return objectives for the investments, but it also dynamically manages members' investments to provide greater certainty of that. And that dynamic management encompasses looking at how the funds are performing versus their target, but also making sure that the asset mix we have is the right asset mix to be able to deliver those targets. And we think this approach will give members a lot more context and also comfort that we're taking care of their savings. I think the other aspect, John, you touched upon what actions are trustees doing in this sort of context is just thinking about interest rates. And we've seen interest rates are currently really low and they've been low for a long time. And we've heard talk about negative interest rates. Now, whether that will or won't happen is debatable, but we have seen negative interest rates in some European countries. And... I think it really brings cash into focus for DC schemes. It's always been seen as a safe haven, and but if cash is no longer giving you a positive return or even a flat return after we allow for fees, then that potentially forces us to reevaluate. 
And it was something we've been concerned about in terms of member switching activity, whether we saw members moving into cash when we saw equity markets falling, um, but also thinking about member behaviour at retirement. And to my mind, this only increases the importance of actually keeping members in the default, but also thinking about the role of cash in default strategies. But equally, those low interest rates have a knock-on impact on other asset classes, such as government bonds, potentially even corporate bonds. And again, it's thinking about the role they play in strategies, and again, whether that strategy needs to evolve to, to manage some of those challenges. Thanks, Joe. Yes, it seems like there's a, a really strong rationale for thinking and making sure that what you're offering members through the default is not just right for the current environment, but also looking forward to how that might that might change over time and how members take their benefits, of course, when they get there. Just in terms of the what we've seen as a, a real rise in the awareness or around the responsible investment, ESG criteria, etc. What's the research telling us about the role that that has within both sort of default and, and sort of member choice uh, in relation to uh, to their pension savings? Yes, it was another interesting finding coming out of the research, picking up around responsible investing. And when we posed the question, only 4% of members told us that they'd actually checked to see whether they were comfortable with how their savings were invested. So, for example, relative to their own beliefs on certain issues, which might be environmental issues or ethical issues and so on. Now, that 4% seems very low and we were perhaps expecting it to be higher. But it doesn't mean that members aren't expecting their savings to already be invested sustainably. And I think that's something that's really important to bear in mind. And in particular, if we think back to our 2019 Responsible Investment Survey, we actually found that more than 85% of UK investors consider responsible investing to be at least somewhat important, with the vast majority of savers saying that they would be more engaged with their pension savings as a result of having a responsible investment approach. And we also carried out a, a survey which looked at revealed preferences for members, which showed that there is a, a, a really strong desire to avoid funds that are rated poorly when it comes to sustainability. And that came through regardless of people's age, regardless of their salary, their savings level and so on. And thinking about that research, it really tells us that we have a remit to do more in this area. And if we go back to the first finding around members actually checking their savings, if we combine this sort of finding around sustainability with the knowledge that people aren't checking their savings, it really tells us that simply offering a responsible investment option as part of the self-select fund range is unlikely to be enough. And actually, we need to do a lot more to bring issues like sustainability into the strategy as a whole and particularly into the default, which is, we know, which is where we know most members will be invested. So there's a similar message really to the uh, thinking around the default itself, if uh, if members aren't checking what they're invested in, that sufficient time needs to be spent on making sure it's in the right place. And then on their behalf, you're saying, Joe, make sure that, that you're, you're bringing in. Also thinking about the way in which you can integrate responsible investing into their sort of core investments through the, through the default strategy, which they wouldn't otherwise be, be able to do for themselves. Certainly when we see member surveys, there is certainly the expectation that they have that this has already been done on their behalf so kind of leads into the uh, finding doesn't it that why would you check if you already expect that it's being done so there's sort of key actions that crop up out of that thinking yeah so yeah joe and i are very aligned on this in terms of the need 
to integrate responsible investment strategies and ESG factors into defaults in particular. And we've done a couple of webinars and conference slots on this. So uh, people, please go back last year and tune in to that. Uh, you'll even be able to see a picture of my, my backyard on fire just to show how seriously we take this and the need to uh, take action, particularly with our retirement savings. But I think one of the um, the nice things around responsible investment is that it, it kind of links and it intertwines with the communication, the engagement side of things, as we're talking about just before in terms of our ability to share those good news stories with members in terms of how their retirement savings are doing some good in the world, making the world a better place, as well as being invested to grow can help engender pride not only in the um, in your retirement savings vehicle, but also engender pride in the company that they work for. And hopefully down the track, it gets them to engage that little bit more with their retirement savings. And just to give an example, or a couple of examples actually, we've done with it, with some of our some of our clients, thinking around integrating responsible investment and ESG factors across the default spectrum. So this isn't just focusing on equities, it's looking across all asset classes, it's looking across the spectrum of the default strategy. And it's not just focusing on climate, climate's a very important issue, but it's only one small piece of the E, which is part of the E, the S and the G. So it often forgets about the social side of things and it often forgets about the governance side of things, which again, surveys show that that social is up there in terms of members' concerns and things that we need to invest for. Focus our investment strategies on is what I really should have been saying. So how do we do that? We've seen a lot of press and we've seen a lot of schemes going down the passive route in terms of their implementation. So again, not only, well, basically only on the equity side, you see a lot of headlines just looking at the equity side of things, but what the passive side of things misses is that broader integration. So yes, it might do E, S and G, but you're generally investing still in, in inverted commas, the not so good ESG scorers, and in, in bigger inverted commas, the bad companies that a lot of these members don't necessarily want to be invested in. So going down that active route, understanding what your objectives are, what the beliefs of your members are, means that you can target that communication in a, in a far more compelling way, in a far more tangible way than can necessarily be done just down the passive route. And another good example of this is, again, I seem to be doing the uh, the selling for Joe and the segue into Joe's part in terms of, again, at Aon, we've uh, launched an active impact equity strategy uh, within our solutions. Um, and I can say that I've got 100% of my UK retirement savings in this, my, my Australian retirement savings are still over there, but we've certainly got, and I've personally got conviction in this strategy. And I'll let, let Joe talk a little bit more about it. Yeah, it was a new strategy that we launched uh, towards the end of last year. Um, really exciting to see this this come to life, but um, it's available to, to our members of the Master Trust and our group personal pension as a self-select option. So again, like Chris, I've got some of my money invested in that, but we wanted to make go a step further and again going back to this point about the default strategy so what we did was actually introduce a 10 percent allocation to that active impact strategy um, within our more active default default funds and that was made at the end of january this year so i think that's that's a really great way of being able to bring some of this not only an investment opportunity but also that positive impact that the the underlying companies will be making to our planet we can actually bring that to a broader cross-section of our membership sounds like a, a really great step forward and i hate to join the choir but i have also invested some of my money into this fund so joe you better do a good job with it but <laughs> i hope you've checked the performance john <laughs> no pressure. The other thing, if anyone listening is concerned about Chris's backyard being on fire, he was referring to one in Australia rather than in North London, so there's no need to be alarmed. <laughs>
the, the discussion has been really interesting. I think that what, what it's highlighted for me and from this from the details of the, the research that we've seen is that actually the, the sort of the fact that members aren't necessarily going in and making changes to their investments as a result of market turmoil, nor are they necessarily spending too much time trying to get to know and understand what they're invested in and why. And I think that's to your point, Chris, about the, you know, your Australian experience, which is why try and teach people to uh, um, to be their own chief investment officers when in fact that they they quite rightly uh, are relying on the people that are, are stewards of their money to, to make good decisions on their behalf. It means that if they are engaged and they're they're concerned about what they might end up with at retirement, which is the, the key driver, is that they're they're engaging with their plan to make sure that what they end up with is an appropriate level of, of benefit. So some of the other stats that we're seeing from the research that might see people saying that they would increase their contributions in 2021 being what you know one in six saying they'd do so uh, compared to one in 14 that said they would be prepared to do so in the previous year's um, survey I think that's indication that there's a focus on if you like the, the elements that members can make a make more difference from and let the let the investments you know work hard for them on their behalf without them having to uh, intervene themselves to make sure they're invested in the right place so just to sum up then uh, I mean we've heard the kind of the the number of actions points that you've highlighted there but is there a sort of a a list of key thoughts and takeaways that we leave with our listeners so two for me is really around making sure the default investment um, is designed to achieve those appropriate targets for the pension savers Um, as joe was saying that historically dc just seems to be a message put as much in as you can and hope for the best when we're thinking about investment strategies, having that end target, having that objective, make it so much easier for us to build those investment strategies. So being focused on what we're trying to achieve, setting those required returns and targets means that we're much better able to manage the investment strategy and the default strategies to achieve those and give more certainty to members. Um, And the second one's not gonna be a surprise, uh, it's around ESG and responsible investing. So making sure that trustees have clearly defined their beliefs, have clearly written that down in their policies, including their SIP, and then making sure that those are being integrated within their investment strategy. There's a lot of good corporate social responsibility speak by a lot of good uh, corporates in the world. When you look at their retirement savings vehicles, a lot of that is lost. So getting those policies linked up, getting those aligned and engendering that pride for their savers. The two main takeaways for me. And Joe, do you have anything to add? Yeah, and and I, I'd echo that, particularly around the responsible investment in that I think once you've got your policies defined, it's making sure that those are, they're not just policies, they're actually in place and they're actually brought into your, not only just your fund range, but into your default strategy as well. And we are starting to see more clients looking at that, but also, as Chris said, sort of linking up the corporate policy with the, the pension scheme. And I think that the final bit for me is actually with all the increased emphasis on your default strategy and what's that's doing, we've talked about new default approaches, we've talked about incorporating responsible investment, but it's also worth thinking about whether there are ways whether actually delegating some of those decisions around that DC investment strategy could actually be a more effective way of delivering some really good solutions to your members. So if all of this sounds a bit much, I think that's probably another good one to add to the list of things to have a think about. Great. Well, that's been a great chat. Thank you very much. Always a pleasure. Thank you to Chris and to Joe. And thank you very much for, for listening. I hope you've found it useful and interesting. Just as a reminder, please do download a copy of the research if you want to read more detail uh, or pick up the phone to your usual Aon contact or 
I'm sure Chris or Joe would be delighted to get a call from you if you had any questions. So that's the uh, that, that's the end of today's podcast. Thank you for listening, and we will uh, see you again for the next exciting instalment. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks, everyone.